But right off the top here, if you've been listening to the Mike Smith show, you've been following along as Simi Sarah, you've been following along with the days of our lives vibe that's coming out. I mean, I shouldn't be so flippant about it because it is a very serious issue. But hello, soap opera-esque unfolding uh, with the BC NDP leadership race, the chief electoral officer, Elizabeth Cull, with a report that, that says that around the, the issues of disqualification for uh, failings and breaches, and, and there will be, you know, involving third party. It's very complex. It's very insider baseball, but it's really important because it might define who is the next premier in, in short order here in our province to bring some legit knowledge to the platform here. We want to connect now with Czech News legislative correspondent, longtime columnist as well, good friend of the program, Rob Shaw, is on the line. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jody. Please help us uh, understand, for the person who's not a a, a nerdy politico, what is happening? (laughs) Well, I mean, it depends on, I guess, uh, how you view the NDP leadership race. If you think this thing was rigged from the beginning for David Eby, then you're going to look at what's happened in the last 24 hours and say the party is being very unfair to the one other candidate against him, Angelia Paderai, a climate activist, by finding ways to disqualify her and basically kind of, you know, put the crown on David Eby's head prematurely without a, without a big race. Um, if you're a kind of New Democrat loyalist, if you identify with that party, you're probably looking at this and saying it looks like maybe a Paderai broke some of the rules in the way she ran her campaign and she is, you know, legitimately disqualified. So, you know, it depends on on who you're talking to. But basically, this race is to replace John Horgan, who's retiring. Uh, David Eby has the support of all of the caucus and cabinet, basically. And he looked like he was going to cruise to victory here. And then this uh, young woman, a Paderai, massively organized him with the environmental groups that uh, that are uh, allied with her and embarrassed him and embarrassed the party and put his uh, his win in jeopardy. And so uh, if you talk to her, like I did this morning, she thinks that this is just finding an excuse to get rid of her so she doesn't um, kind of challenge the establishment of this party. So that's the kind right. of broad brush of things, but it's pretty messy. It is very, it is very pretty- messy. What are the guardrails, if any, on how you are allowed to campaign for yourself within a leadership race like this? You mentioned uh, the Dogwood Society. Uh, you mentioned, you know, signing up members in a way that that could be disqualifying. It wasn't in the and, and I read A Matter of Confidence, uh, a book that you might be familiar with. Uh, Richard Sussman and you writing the A Matter of Confidence. Didn't Christy Clark sign, a, sign up a cat as a member? Like, wasn't that or is that? <laughs> Is that mythology of of of, of uh, poli- yeah. <laughs> politics in BC? Like, how much how much guardrail is there to who you can and cannot support? Have you have support you? Yeah, the cat was real, and they had to disqualify the cat. But so there's two things. Like, you know, election provincial elections have more rules than party leadership races. Even though in this case, like, it's a huge prize if you win this thing, you become leader of the NDP and you become premier. So, and parties are in their own little worlds. They're private little clubs. They're private societies who get to set their own rules on their own races. And it's different a little bit than um, than kind of if you were running in an election campaign provincially. But anyways, the point here is that the NDP had a couple rules in place that they say were, were violated. And the first is if you sign up a new member to support you in the race, that person can't be a member of any other party. 
Mm. And it's right on the declaration form when you sign up a member. And part of a leadership race is you sign up as many people as you can so they support you. And what the party is alleging here is that the Apatari campaign signed up a whole bunch of BC Green members to temporarily become NDP members and tilt the race in her favor. And they say that they did an audit and found 18 percent of uh, of the new members that they checked were already mostly BC Green members. And therefore, they're not eligible. They call it fraud. Uh, membership fraud. So that's the one issue. The second issue is there are limits on what you can spend when you're running in this race. And one of the Mm -hmm. ways in the past that people get around that is they have organizations or companies or unions do their dirty work for them. So you, you get a whole bunch of people paid by a union or paid by someone else to sign up members. You put all the costs on them and then you don't have those costs counted against you. And that's not allowed anymore. And that's the allegation against Dogwood is that it used paid staff resources, phone banks, uh, advertising to do a patterized work, which is a violation of the rules. And those two things are in this report saying that, yeah, the NDP thinks they happened and they think the only way to deal with it is disqualify her. She insists that neither of those things actually happened the way they're described uh, and that it's not a fair disqualification. But that's kind of the broad brush of what they're talking about. Great explainer. I understand it way better now that you've laid it out as you have here. Now, listening to Anjali Apatari uh, the other day explaining her platform, her platform, uh, you know, and I'm, again, not an expert on such things, so please feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Uh, It sounded very Green Party-esque versus what, you know, against Site C and against natural gas and, uh, you know, some some of the things. But within... A leadership race is that how is that how this typically works no <laughs> well usually you have more than one person running in the race and there's a, a variety of views right so right, the real one of the real the real problems here is that no one wanted to run against david eby and so she did but she's from the outside and she opposes a bunch of things that this government did she almost sounds like she is from a different party in the mm-hmm. way she criticizes this government's decisions and a lot of new democrats don't like that uh and and so that creates this hostility and this tension in in the race. Uh, but her platform so far have been climate and healthcare. The healthcare one was pretty interesting. A twenty five cent twenty five percent raise for nurses and a bunch of other things. The climate one had like free transit for people and. Uh, yeah. They were they were good platforms, like they resonated with people, um, but they are a lot more what you consider green than you would consider New Democrat, and so that's concerned folks who think, well, what if she was to win and take over, as the NDP put it, kind of a hostile takeover of the party and changing all the things that they think made it successful under John Horgan, and and there's lots of people in the party who don't want that to happen, and she says that's why. They're coming for her on these on these technicalities is that they don't want her to win. And another reason why this is happening is because the party allowed its membership base to shrink to only 11,000 people. Paderai thinks she may have signed up as many as 14,000 people. So she outworked the party. She outworked David Eby. He's getting criticized for his campaign being a bit lazy. It didn't sign up a lot of people. And she basically kind of out hustled everyone. Right. And and has a party in a very vulnerable position, and it doesn't like that. And so that's kind of the, the tension that exists here. Jody Vance in for Jill. I'm with Rob Shaw, Czech News legislative correspondent, taking your calls to 604-280-9898 or star 9898. We're talking about the BC NDP leadership race controversy. Doug and Surrey, you're up first. Welcome. 
Hey, Jody. Hi. Uh, I forgot your first name there. Rob. Rob, Rob. Shaw. Um, with, this, uh, with this young lady that wants to become the leader of the uh, NDP challenging David Eby, uh, her name has been associated with a group I know little or nothing about, the Royages or anything else, the Dogwood Party. Flash out that a little bit so people kind of know what, you know, is she just the face on the front of an organization? Thanks, Doug. Yeah, well, she's actually from a different group. Um, it's the, I think it's called the Climate Emergency uh, Unit, but I think it's a, uh, they're essentially, these are advocacy organizations. Dogwood has got behind her as a big one, but they're environmental advocacy associations. They lobby the government to be tougher on climate change. They produce their own research, their own reports. They sort of exist to campaign and sign up members and fundraise and uh, and influence people. It's part of the environmental movement that used to be just the David Suzuki Foundation and has grown to you know all sorts of others. And and that's essentially where she comes from is this movement, and that's the movement that's behind her, the environmental movement um, that used to be part of the NDP, but in recent years hasn't uh, hasn't had a lot of uptake, and they're looking to use her candidacy to execute change in a government that isn't doing enough on climate change in, in their minds. All right, let's continue down the phone list. Lots of calls. 604-280-9898, star 9898. Melissa in Vancouver, welcome. Oh, hi, guys. Hi, Judy. Hi, hi Rob. Hi. Um, I just reread the book, by the way. It's a good read. So Everyone good. should read Rob's that book. Hey, quick question. I'm just wondering, I keep wondering why the NDP party didn't go kind of the route that the Liberals did with Aaron Gunn and just kind of get Anjali out of the way a lot earlier rather than letting it go on this long. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the t- they allowed the race to go a little bit long. And so the timing is somewhat similar it just feels like a a long time uh this is technically when they would make their decision on a candidate and they're making it like the liberals did with aaron gunn it just there's so much more at stake and there's so much more attention on it that we didn't pay this close of attention to the liberal race uh Mm -hmm. and it just feel it feels like the ndp have been in this for a while uh when in reality in the big picture this has all just happened in the last you know two months basically she, she only announced her candidacy august the seventh i think so it's 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 yeah, but you're right. They would have preferred to deal with it earlier, for sure. So tonight at 6, your expectation in 10 seconds or less? Well, there's no way the party can go against its own chief electoral officer. They're going to have to right. vote to disqualify her. There you go. Uh, the book that Melissa was referencing, that I keep referencing, is a book that Rob Shaw wrote with Richard Zussman. Uh, yes, that Richard Zussman. A Matter of Confidence. And you don't need to be a political nerd to love this book. So pick it up. Rob Shaw is the Czech News legislative correspondent and uh, very lucky to be able to bend your ear today. Thank you so much for this, my friend. Anytime. Thanks, Jody. All right, Jody Vance in for Jill. She is back tomorrow. It is time to talk about this air quality, right? I mean, anybody who's done any travel, maybe you've uh, been to a major city, Mexico City, known for having some smog. I lived in Los Angeles for a while back in the early 90s, and I remember living in in the smog, like living in it and coming back home and being like, well, it's so clear here. One of the reasons why I did move back home was the air quality. And here we are looking around. And yesterday, looking at the North Shore Mountains, I thought that looks like the Hollywood Hills. 
uh, 10 plus in the Fraser Valley. It literally does not get worse. So what is that doing to our bodies? What is that doing to our lungs? What about those who suffer from asthma or lung disease? Christopher Lamb is the president and CEO of the BC Lung Foundation and joins me on the line. Thanks for doing this, Christopher. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me. Can you walk us through what is happening to our lungs right now with this air quality? Yeah, it's absolutely tragic what's happening out there. And I love your introduction there, Jody. Uh, we are so used to here in British Columbia having our clean air and our blue skies. This isn't normal for us. And it, it, ha- it is having a huge impact on how we breathe and what's happening to our lungs. What's happening right now is with all that smoke in the air, it's got a particulate matter that's so fine that it's getting into our lungs and it has a lot of short-term impacts and a lot of long-term impacts, everything from shortness of breath all the way until having uh, longer-term implications around lung cancer or other respiratory diseases. So it's a big deal whether you are a vulnerable population or not. Even the healthiest person is going to experience some sort of symptom from this. I personally am experiencing symptoms from this. I'm headachy. I'm definitely taking it easier when I try and go out earlier in the morning when it feels like it's not as bad. Um, What can we do? What should we do to protect ourselves, particularly for those in the Fraser Valley who maybe have to work outside and don't have the option of staying indoors? Absolutely. And I really feel for our friends out in the Fraser Valley, their air quality is among the worst in the world right now. and, and, And that's absolutely tragic for them. Uh, unfortunately, if you need to work outside, I mean, there are mitigating factors against you being able to protect yourself, uh, and that's something that needs to be explored. Uh, for uh, everyday people out there, whether you think you're healthy or you have something that you're dealing with, uh, my advice to everybody is to find a way to stay indoors mm-hmm. um, and find places where you can find air purification. Uh, there are places that you can go, much like when we had our heat events, uh, same places that have the cooling centers. Uh, you could probably find clean air shelters as well, places like the mall, places like libraries and movie theaters, uh, places that really are going to support people en masse that way. Uh, The biggest takeaway here is really try to stay away from any sort of outdoor activity while the air quality is this bad. Christopher Lamb is the president and CEO of the BC Lung Foundation. What are some of the signals, Christopher? If we're, my mom uh, is in her 80s. She's fabulous. She's fantastic. She's fit in so many ways, but she does have COPD. And we noticed that her cough that w- is managed with proper medication, she's diagnosed, uh, really went got exponentially worse with the smoke settling over the city. And it was almost like it was almost like an afterthought. Like, why is that getting so bad? Because we couldn't smell it. Sure, the sunsets were red, but you know, if we have a loved one who might be vulnerable, like my mom, what should we looking be looking for and what might we do to like or what what is the trigger or signal that it's like, whoa, this isn't just going to the mall or the or the or the movie theater. This is like go go to the hospital. Absolutely. Those are fabulous things. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're able to take care of your mother the way that you can, especially with COPD. Uh, early symptoms are a shortness of breath. That, that is easily the, the earliest one. Um, one of the quickest things that happens as well is redness with the eyes, as well as an itchiness in your throat. Uh, those are all things that seem really common. Uh, but in a smoke event, you really want to discuss it. It's really important for us as an organization to sort of really say to everybody that we have to spend more time talking about this so that it's not such a surprise when these events happen. 
you know, we, we spend a lot of time in the minutiae, especially like in a sports season when we talk uh, baseball, it's spitballs and bat flips are all the time in the news. Whenever it's summer and heat, we need to be talking about what our air quality is doing to us. Uh, because it's not always the case that it's so obvious where there's a gasping of breath uh, or it's an immediate need for you to go to the hospital. But you want to recognize those symptoms early. Uh, And the very first factor of that really is going to be understanding what's in the air you breathe as a precursor to what may be happening to your body. So just the last question, I know I'm keeping you longer than I said I would, Christopher, but when it comes to... preparing for this, as you said, in days and and months, weeks and months that perhaps we don't have this air quality issue, is there something that we should be doing uh, at at various levels of government so that people aren't put at risk when it's a 10 plus in the Fraser Valley? I think the biggest thing is educating the public on on what the air quality is and what it means. I I think a, a really important thing is for all British Columbians to recognize that a blue sky doesn't necessarily mean that your air is clean. Uh, The government does have a lot of resources out there for you to check what the air quality is, and it's actually built into a lot of things that a lot of us have in our pockets through a weather app. Uh, It's important for British Columbians to know what that scale is, what the air quality index means, uh, and then they can start taking appropriate action before it really becomes a problem. Uh, There are more things we can always do, but educating our uh, citizens is the best way forward at this point. Really appreciate your perspective, Christopher. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jody. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. Jill will be back tomorrow after enjoying a couple of days off. Uh, Eric Chapman, making you work double time, triple time. Uh, coming on here, we got a couple of features featuring you, and right now a very serious uh, subject matter, but one for the city of Vancouver to be proud of. Well, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, uh, to little backstory on June twenty first, twenty twenty one, the United Nations Declarations on the Rights of Indigenous People Act was initiated. UNDRIP. The purpose of this act too, was to affirm the declaration as an international human rights instrument that can help interpret and apply Canadian law. This act requires the government of Canada in consultation and cooperation with Indigenous peoples to take all measures necessary to ensure the laws of Canada are consistent with the declaration, implement an action plan to achieve the declaration's objectives, table an annual report on progress to align the laws of Canada and on the action plan. So, in accordance with that, the City of Vancouver has created a task force that has been meeting to develop recommendations over the last year on how the city of Vancouver can implement UNDRIP. The task force priorities are consult and collaborate with the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh in development of this task force and the report. Uh, consider urban indigenous communities today living in Vancouver. Seek ways to engage women, youth, and elder voices. Build on past and current work in the city of Vancouver on reconciliation. And also consider the BC Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act, DRIPA, as a model. Uh, today was the f- after a year of meeting, uh, the first day the task force presented its report at their meeting with the city and the nations. Uh, one of the speakers today said something very wise, and I, I didn't get his name, but there's, he was mentioned how so much needs to be normalized and we need to unnormalize things, and that being the Eurocentric way of thinking. And I just thought I hadn't heard that, and I thought that was very interesting. So mm. this task force is very historic, as you mentioned, Jody, for a few reason, reasons. Here's Kasalem, chairperson for the Squamish Nation, who spoke earlier today. The call 
to have one of the first cities in the world work government to government with the local nations to develop a strategy for implementing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Vancouver is now the first city in the world to have developed this. And it came about because of, I think, a genuine uh, mutual respect by all the parties involved, a genuine desire to create uh, a meaning, meaningful pathway for reconciliation. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, one of the calls is to for federal provincial, territorial, and municipal governments to use UNDRIP as a framework for reconciliation. And the articles of UNDRIP speak to various themes, but ultimately at the end of the day, the work of reconciliation happens for lots of reasons. But I do truly believe, and we've seen this over the last 10 years, on numerous uh, projects where the city and the nations have worked together and will continue to work together is that reconciliation isn't important because of, isn't just important because something wrong happened in the past and we need to do something to atone for those wrongs. It's also about that by working together, we are creating a mutual benefit that everybody can benefit from. Those calls to action, um, ha have a look at them. For us in the media, Jody, it's number 84, part three, continuing to provide dedicated news coverage and online public information resources on issues concerning Aboriginal peoples and all Canadians. So have a look, see what maybe you can take part in as well. And at these ceremonies, Jody, um, there's uh, because um, the Indigenous way of telling history is all verbal, there's witnesses. And the witnesses are very important. And they take part in the ceremony and, and they explain and at the end, what, what they witness and how, how it affects them and what it means. And uh, one of the persons there, uh, one of the witnesses was Roseanne Archibald, current National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. These kinds of events that implement the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples at any level of government, particularly municipal is uh, very important to the healing path forward and to reconciliation. We can only hope that events like this begin to heal that division and that the respect that is due to First Nations and nations, particularly in this vicinity, that this document is the beginning place of that respect and that healing. If reconciliation is, say, a 12-chapter book, but we are only on the first sentence of the first chapter, and that's what this event is about. I talked to one of the uh, people that reviewed this document, and she was telling me that, for example, where you are today, when you talk about sharing the resources and the lands and the waters, you have to move from where you are today to looking at all of the wealth that is being built upon these lands in this area now known as Vancouver. And one of the things she talked to me about, which I thought was very forward-thinking, was the eventual sharing of, for example, taxation on the lands. Um, the generating of the wealth, how do you share that with the, the, the original nations of this area? 
And so I'm really grateful to be a witness of this moment where we are all standing on that first sentence and that we will write this book together and that I got to see a part of that today. So so some of the findings that the city of Vancouver's task force uh, found and will be implicating um, in part with UNDRIP, the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, the, city, the city will ensure cultural safety for Indigenous people. Now, Jody, an example of cultural safety can just be, let's say, in healthcare, it's simply having a, a, an elder present when a doctor is meeting with patients. So that's just one example of cultural safety. Um, Another thing, ensure access to city services like water. This is another mind boggler too. People might be like, well, why? Water as everyone. Well, if you didn't know, the Semiamu Reserve only got water in 2021 or access to clean water. So this, this is, this is ongoing. And if you look at Manitoba, um, it's disgusting how many uh, nations don't have water. So another thing provide. Yeah, it is. It's it's, yeah, Yeah. that's it. Uh, Provide dedicated places for cultural practices. And this goes back to the whole place names conversation, Jody, you know, if we're yeah. simply just replacing the, the, the park with the, with the traditional name can encourage these places to be developed and go to uh, the nation's partnering with the city to, uh, to look for economic development opportunities like t- taxes to, to use taxes as a way to, to develop uh, economic opportunities. So the full report is available at the city of Vancouver's website, but just a really positive and progressive step in our participation in UNDRIP, being the first Canadian city to have this task force and implement what they found. And brilliantly laid out by you, may I add, Eric, because you're very passionate about this, as am I, but I love how you amplified the voices of those who are Indigenous peoples, and and Kepke Roseanne Archibald certainly making that statement there that we are, if this is a 12-chapter book, we're only on the first sentence of chapter one when it comes mm-hmm. to truth and reconciliation. And really what I pull from your report, which I think is is really, as I said, very well done, is that nobody's trying to take anything from anybody. We're trying oh. to move this forward together and share in the fruits of this land. And, and this sort of like grab and hold on and, you know, kind of vibe that the settler colonization sort of mindset seems to be like, oh, are we past this yet? It's like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. We're not. Yeah. No, it's like that. It's the first page. Yeah, it's the first sentence of the first chapter on that first page. Eric Chapman, thank you for this. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. She will be back here tomorrow in her regular spot and uh, rather a regular on this radio station is going to join us for the next 30 minutes. It's time to open up the phone lines. Your questions. Anything is on the table in terms of science with microbiologist Jason Tetro, the super awesome science guy, author, and all-around nice human, spending 30 minutes with us with your phone calls to 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Jason, thanks for doing this as always, my friend. I love doing this. Well, we help people, right? I mean, people are already filling up our email inboxes. I'm getting tweets. I'm getting DMs. People want to bend your ear. So while the Mm -hmm. phone lines load up with people uh, with questions, uh, 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a free call on your cell hands-free. You might have to wait just a a minute 
because Tim French is <laughs> already picking up phone calls here. But we've already, as I said, received some emails. I forward them to you as they come in. So let's get mm-hmm. right into this, Jason. The first one is, hi, Jody. I'd appreciate if you'd please raise my issue with Jason, which is this. I've had three COVID vaccines and I'm booked for the bivalent vaccine on Sunday. However, I'm very conflicted over whether I should get it because I reacted adversely to the first three shots. Nausea for two days, total exhaustion for two weeks, and a hive-like rash all over my body lasting for eight days. The side effects began about 12 hours after the shot, so they weren't anaphylactic. I'm worried that my reaction to the bivalent could be worse, and I wonder if it's worth it when we don't even know how long the vaccine will be effective. I've spoken with my doctor and with 12 pharmacists, and all have told me it's my call, which is hard to make when no one seems to know the risks versus benefits. By the way, I'm a senior but with no underlying health conditions. Thanks so much. And from White Rock. Yeah. I mean, we hear a lot of this from people uh, because we do get walloped when we have this vaccine. Uh, I had my fourth uh, just a couple of months ago, and I was kind of laid out for about two weeks as well. The, the thing is that when you start looking at what the vaccine is offering you, that's when you can really start making that decision. And what we've noticed is that up until very, very recently, we've been catching up. So it's always been the original lineage or it's the you know original lineage plus the BA1. But now we've got an actual bivalent that is against the 4-5, the BA4, BA5. You've heard this, right? Yep. Well, all of the lineages that are coming up after this you know, names like BQ1, that type of thing, they're all based or their their ancestor happens to be the BA5. So what that means is that when you get this bivalent with the BA4, BA5, you're going to be getting cross-reactivity and this particular bivalent is going to put COVID in the same ranks as flu when it comes to getting those yearly shots. Wow. So I would suggest that if you have had those six months since you've had your last shot or you've had COVID, then the four or five, which is readily available in, in British Columbia right now, yep. you should be able to get that. And that's going to help you. And as for how long it's going to last, that cross reactivity is going to be with you for life. It's now this just is a matter the, of whether you can prevent the, an right. infection as opposed to Oh, no, I think that's very important. I'm sorry I I stepped on you there because this could actually lead to some level of prevention and protection because it is the same root variant. And and this is the one thing that we need to be absolutely stressed about. We will not stop the virus from getting inside of your body. Unless you are putting a mask on and you're following the ABCs, which I talked about for two and a half years, airway, bubbles, and contacts... Unless you're blocking those off, you will become exposed to this virus because it's rapidly circulating. However, you will be exposed to a low enough level that it most likely will not cause an infection because of that cross reactivity from the BA4, BA5. And for somebody listening, you need to know. Totally. And somebody listening right now is terrified by Anne's reaction, the the nausea for two days and feeling Mm -hmm. unwell for two weeks. Personal antidote, I have not had the bivalent yet because I got the booster in the summer because it had been 10 months since I had had a, one. So I, I opted for right. the early protection and I'll get another, you know, in three months when I'm three months out from my, my mark. I'm taking, I'm taking mm-hmm. all of the science here. But mm-hmm. my son got both the flu shot and the bivalent Pfizer with mm-hmm. the BA4, BA5 yeah. two days ago. And he went to school the next day unfazed, came home from school. I'm looking at him like, what? You know, maybe he's 14. He's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm a little 
little bit tired, but I'm fine, mom. I'm like, how's your arm? He's like, no, it's fine. So he had both <laughs> flu shot and this. So not everybody is going to react in the way. No. And and I've been very lucky to manage the the Pfizer vaccines that I have received. I've had no, my significant other, Brian, he has to book it on a day where he's got a couple of days of rest or something, you know, if he mm-hmm. had to miss, you know, and we, I think we just need to be strategic about this. Would that make sense? I think that's a really good idea. What you have to understand is that when you get a vaccine, you are going to stimulate an inflammatory response. Right. So some people will have a very, very strong inflammatory response. I'm one of them. (laughs) So I have to be absolutely sure that I've got at least a day or three where I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to be down. I'm going to have the chills. I'm going to have a fever. That's just part of it. Some people are very good with inflammatory responses. um, And and as a result, they'll just be like, hey, I I got no problem. And I know those people and I hate them. (laughs) You can hate me then. I got tingly lips. My third shot, Uh, I kind of looked like I had duck pout. It was about four days out. So I I asked my doctor and he goes, no, if that didn't happen right away, that's just a little side effect. And I was, I was hanging out with a couple of friends of mine, girl friends of mine. They're like, wow, limp lip plumpers. Hey. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't do that. (laughs) Okay. uh, That's a total sidebar. 604-280-9898. It really was my reaction though. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Jason Tetro taking your calls all the way to the bottom of the hour. Jared in Vancouver, you're up. Welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are hey, you? Good. Good, thanks. Uh, you sort of answered my question. Um, I just had the bivalent when it came available to me, to AstraZeneca, then the Pfizer, and then the, the newest. My reaction um, was just really tired the day of and the following day, and really, really like serious night sweats where I, you know, I had to change the sheets both days. My wife had mm-hmm. just tiredness. Um, so I guess you kind of answered that. It's just the way my body reacts to the booster and I guess producing the antibodies. Um, I also get the flu shot and I've never really had much reaction with that. So I guess you've answered that. But my other question would be my youngest is 10. Will she be able to get the bivalent? We've kind of decided to hold off a little bit because it doesn't really seem like the other boosters that effective. And we were kind of hoping Mm -hmm. that that might be available to her in the near future. Yeah. So um, at the moment, it's been approved for 12 and over. Um, So at 10 years old, you wouldn't be able to get this particular uh, booster. Um, The thing is, however, if you have any kind of cross protection as a result of having a vaccine, then it's going to be better than having no protection at all. And we do know that as much as people have said on social media that kids don't get infected or kids don't have problems, that is not true. It can actually affect children very, very severely as well. So if you have an opportunity to get even the original uh, lineage vaccine, you are going to get some of that cross-protection. What I was talking about earlier with the 4-5 is the fact that a lot of people are like, well, why should I even bother getting this? Because there's going to be another lineage, and now I'm not going to be able to protect against that. But you're always going to have some kind of uh, cross-protection, regardless of which lineage you use. I'm Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. Lots of calls coming in for Jason Tetro, microbiologist, and uh, he's got a specialty in emerging pathogens like COVID-19. This is not his first rodeo. This is not his first pandemic. And that's why we love having Jason on because he's also able to explain the incredibly complex science behind uh, the virus, the vaccinations, the flu shots, 
Uh, we've talked to Jason long before COVID-19 was was around. So 604-280-9898 is the number to call if you have a question. Paul on Twitter said, I got the flu and COVID shot this past weekend and I was completely fine. My wife, on the other hand, reacted with nausea, fever, and chill for the next two days. Everybody reacts differently. Jason, you get a man cold. I get uh, plumped up lips for a couple of days. It looks like I've had some, I don't know, plastic surgery. Uh, Everybody reacts differently, but you do feel better about, you know, two weeks out from that booster dose. Mm -hmm. You feel like you can, you can manage things a little bit better. Let's get to the phone lines because they are jammed. And in Vancouver, you're up first. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call, Jason and uh, Jody. Um, for a person that's 60 and over, how protective, say 90, 90% protective, is the um, Pfizer uh, bivalent against getting infected, transmission, or getting so sick that you need hospitalization? Is it 90% protective? So what you're trying to do here is you're trying to find sort of the statistics that have come from the various different clinical trials to find out whether or not um, you have protection against, first off, infection, um, and then secondly, uh, you know, severe infection, and then, of course, hospitalization and death. This is something that we do with pretty much all the different types of vaccines. What we're showing right now is that you won't be protected against exposure because you're not wearing a mask. Um, at that point, then you're probably looking at around 80 to 90% of a prevention for um, an infection because you should be at a low level of exposure. And then after that, then it goes up. So you're probably looking at least into the 90s when it comes to hospitalization. And of course, there's um, very, very, very little chance of death. So that's really sort of where we're going in that sense. I think what happens is that you get a lot of people who want to share misinformation and they're just like, well, you said it was 95% effective against infection. (laughs) Well, that was the original lineage back in the day. We're now at a state where it's just like the flu. You can still have a flu shot and end up getting the flu. That happens, but it's a much more milder version and you don't necessarily end up being knocked out for three weeks. Well, this is where we are right now with respect to the vaccine. Okay. Does that help, Anne? Well, this is uh, quite a good deal for pe- people at over 60. It doesn't change if a person is older. So what happens is that you have two levels of immunity. You have the antibody immunity, and then you have the T-cell immunity, which is the secondary one. As you get older, your T-cell immunity goes down. And this is why you need boosters more often, so that you can bump up the antibody levels. And this is something we've talked about numerous times in the past. If you can have those antibody levels up high enough, then even if you do have a mild infection, it's just going to stay mild. If you have, however, very little antibody response, then you have to rely on your T cells. And while that does get boosted by the vaccine, it still is going to be weaker as you get older, especially over the age of 70, not 60, 70. Right, 70. And then that's when things start to become a bit more problematic. But if you're Tenuous, 60, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're basically at the normal stage. Okay, Donna's been waiting on the line forever. Donna and okay. Chilliwack, welcome to the show. What's your question for Jason Tetro, and thank you for your patience. Hi, nice to be able to ask Jason this question. Um, I have a side effect from the vaccine uh, called burning mouth syndrome. Have you heard of this? Uh, no, I, I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm, I'm not an internist. <laughs> I'm what happens with burning mouth syndrome, Donna? Can I ask you that? I have no idea yeah. myself. Yeah. After the first shot, um, my mouth 
it felt like it was burning inside, like I had drink and drank a really hot cup of coffee. It lasted Ouch. for a short time, and it started to fade away. After I got the second shot, it came back right away, and it lasted much longer. Um, then I went to see an oral specialist. I didn't know what this was about, and he explained to me what it was and that it was brought on by my COVID shots. And then I had my booster, and now it's constant. So it's like your mouth is always on fire. Um, that sounds very uncomfortable. You know what? Let's look into that. We're, we're going to look into that a little bit more, and I'm glad you brought that to the fore. I mean, it, people's experiences are very real. I haven't heard a lot of people who said they had tingly lips for the first couple of shots and then had a plump lip on the fourth one. You know, there are there are these parts of your body that might be inflammatory, right? That's what you were talking about before. Everybody's reactions are so different. Yeah, and I think one of the issues is that when you start talking about things like the mouth and... If it's burning mouth syndrome, then it's probably the same type of receptors that you're dealing with with respect to eating a chili pepper, which is really, really tough. And if yeah. that is the case, then it may have something to do um, with the way that your immune system is responding to inflammation. Again, this is something that is so far outside of my expertise that right, I would right. very much recommend getting a referral to a specialist. Um, but um yeah. Uh, and, and it may also have to do with medications that people might be under. Uh, I know that if people are taking ACE inhibitors, that they have different types of reactions than, say, people who are not taking ACE inhibitors. But again, this is so far outside of my expertise. Right. We only got one minute left. So I'm going to ask you this question because I'm getting a okay. lot of people on my email and uh, te text message and DMs on, on Twitter about the BA4, BA5. Pfizer bivalent vaccine versus now the Moderna bivalent vaccine is one better than the other? Well, BA1 better in air is quotes. what, yeah, BA1 is the one that is currently in the Moderna bivalent. Um, that's going to change. I'm sure that we'll be getting the BA4, BA5 version of the Moderna very shortly. But at right. the end of the day, all of the subsequent ones that are coming are, are descendants of the BA5. So that's my recommendation is you want to get that sort of BA5 in you, and then that's going to give you that cross-protection. Um, the Moderna one with the BA5 is coming shortly, though. Right. So, But if you were given the opportunity, oh, obviously you're going to take the first vaccine that's offered You actually you, do have the opportunity now. You can actually go to do. the drugstore. I've already checked it out in, um, okay. in, in British Columbia drugstores. You can actually tell them, I would like to have this particular one because blank, blank. So Pfizer BA4-5. Is what you're looking at the for. moment. This is yeah, that's, this is that's the brand we're going in and asking for. Was we're trying to protect ourselves from this virus. It's just, for now, a, but for those of you journey. who are asking, I don't get paid by Pfizer. I'm just no, saying it's yeah, because don't. of the DA five. You are very generous with your time and your knowledge. You've spent a lifetime studying what you know so well, Jason Tetro, and we appreciate you. One of the best follows on Twitter, uh, and my good friend. Thank you for doing this. It was a pleasure. Take care.